Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, week four of our Advent series, The Great Arrival. Advent means waiting with great expectation, coming into arrival. And there's four traditional topics in Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and finally this week we're on love. And Advent is something that's been celebrated by Christians for years. It can be tracked back to somewhere around 400 AD. And the church has been celebrating Advent this way. And it's beautiful as we celebrate these great gifts together. We celebrate that God has not only done these things for us, but as we celebrate, we contemplate how to give those gifts to the world around us. And love is a funny word. Love is a funny word because you can love your spouse and you can love cheeseburgers But how many people know if you love your spouse with the same love you have for cheeseburgers, you're gonna be in trouble? Right? I would, it would not be good if if that my love was equal on the level of cheeseburgers, though. I love, you know, hitting some five guys after church. You know, I I love that, I love that, but it's it's not gonna work out well for you if your love is on the same level. When you think about the word love, what immediately comes to mind when you think about the word love? I often think of like the intense emotion or the intense feeling of love, the sort of Hallmark movie kind of idea of love, or maybe that sort of junior high butterfly love that you got back in junior high. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just like, oh, that girl, oh my gosh. I saw her at track and field this week. Oh, she was looking so good, you know? And, and, and you get this sort of butterflies in your stomach. Junior high dating, for me, back in those days, junior high dating, there was no uh, social media. So dating in junior high was just sitting beside someone on the bus. <laughs> it was like, we're, we're dating, and when we break up, I'm just changing seats. <laughs> and that's like the depth of the relationship. I often think about, when you, when you think about the word love and you contemplate it as I was writing this week, I was thinking about that song. I think it's from the Little Rascals. Um, I don't know who sings it, but you know that song? It's like, L is for the way you look. You know the one. And the O is for the only one I see. Yeah, it's like this sort of like, ooh, kind of love. But when God talks about loving the world, is this the kind of love he's talking about? This junior high sort of butterfly love, I love you, girl, kind of love. And then he talks about loving our neighbor. Is that how we're supposed to love our neighbor? Hey, neighbor, you're looking good today. Um... I mean, maybe if you're both single, God has placed you there for a reason. I don't know. But what level of love are we asked to express? And what happens when we simply cannot bring ourselves to love our neighbor like the Bible has told us to? Now, the Bible uses a few different Greek and Hebrew words um, for the word love. And predominantly, it'd be these three and a half, four words uh, the first one being eros. Eros is the, um, the sort of like, like what I was kind of describing, the romantic or the sexual type of love, the sort of butterfly, intense feeling. It's where the word erotic comes from is this eros word. There's phileo. Phileo is the natural affection. It's more feeling than reason. Like you're just like, I just, I love that person. Why? I don't know. There's just something I like about them. 
Um, and it's, it's sort of loving someone because the feeling is right. And then there's uh, philia or Philadelphia, very similar word. Um, it's like that brotherly love. It's why they call it uh, Philadelphia, the, the city of brotherly love. It's love rooted in belonging. I love you because we're brothers. We feel something you know, together as, as a camaraderie or friendship. And then there's this word, agape love. Agape love. And that's the supreme concept of love. Agape is the greatest of all loves. And as you look through the New Testament, this is often the word that was used, the Greek word to describe love. And it's certainly the word that's used to describe God's love for us and our love for our neighbor. And in 1 Corinthians 13, the sort of famous love passage in the Bible, Paul uses the word agape as he talks about love. And this love is the very nature and the very character of God, agape love. This is the God so loved the world type of love that's described in the Bible, this agape love. Now agape as a noun, agape means this, to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. To love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. Isn't that beautiful? That that's God's love for you and I. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's amazing that despite you know, us being undeserving, despite disappointment and rejection, God loves us in this way. We all wanna receive that kind of love, but we often don't wanna give that kind of love. But how many people are thankful for a God that loves the undeserving, despite disappointment and rejection? Man, I'm telling you right now, if you came here today feeling undeserving, like you're a disappointment, like you're rejected by people. Can I just tell you God has agape love towards you? Come on, you can, you can walk out of here confident knowing that I've messed up. Man, I've, I've taken my life in this way or that way. I've made mistakes. But at the end of the day, God loves me with agape love. I don't deserve it. Oh man, but he loves me so much. So that's the noun, agape love. That's what it is. Um, but there's a verb version of it called agapeo. And so we have agape, that's the noun. Agapeo is the verb, the action of it. And the action of agape is seeking the highest good for someone else. Like when I look at people, I want their highest, I want them to have the best life possible. It's not about me. It's not about getting what I want. It's about I, I have their best intentions in mind if I'm gonna love someone in an agape way. And that's God's love towards us. That as he looks at us, as he gives us direction for our lives, as, he, as his Holy Spirit ministers to us, his intention is that he seeks your best. He seeks the highest good for your life. This love in action is seeking the highest good. He says, I want what's best for you, even if that means laying down what's best for me. That's the love Jesus showed on the cross. And as we celebrate Christmas time, it's the love that we can reflect on. How good is Jesus that he would come live this life and then seek our highest good by paying the most painful death on a cross. Christmas is a reminder that this is what God does for us. He always has our best intentions in mind. We don't deserve it. He does it despite disappointment and rejection. And if this is how God loves us, how are we to respond? What are we supposed to do about it? And Jesus, I think, gives us a beautiful example of this in Matthew 22. 
Matthew 22, he's, he comes uh, up against this Pharisee. We're gonna just read uh, 37 to 39, just a little short one this morning. You may have heard this if you've been in church any longer than five minutes. You've probably heard this passage before. But Jesus has, uh, he comes into contact with this Pharisee and this Pharisee is like trying to show people, oh, this guy, Jesus, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not who he says he is. And I'm gonna expose him. See, Pharisees were all about the rules. Pharisees were all about, man, uh, you know, if you're going to live right, you have to do this, that, and the other thing is you got to follow the rules. And there's still people who are Pharisees today that they say, oh, you got to follow the rules and they don't even follow them themselves. But God shows us a better way than the, than the Pharisee way. Thank God that Jesus did that. And so in, in Matthew chapter 22, he's, he's, it goes like this. The Pharisee's like, you know, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus, if you're so smart, if you're who you say you are? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first and the greatest commandment. It's the best thing you can do with your life is to love God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Our love for ourselves, our love for God, and our love for our neighbor all work in an ecosystem together. And when one is off, they're all off. And if you wanna reset that ecosystem, if you feel like, I don't know if I'm loving God the way I used to, or I don't know if I'm loving that neighbor the way God has called me to, the reset for this is to come back to God, to spend time with him, to realize his nature, to get in his word. The reset for your ecosystem is come back to God and renew your love for him. Read his word, pray, worship, get in his presence. And this Pharisee thinks he's gonna call Jesus out. So he says, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says, yes. He's like, what, what of all these great 10 commandments? What's, what's the greatest one? Jesus is like, yes. Jesus takes all these 10 commandments and he summarizes all of them beautifully. And God gave Moses these commandments to show him how to live the best life. And Moses didn't have Jesus, so God sent this guide. And now we have a person to show us how to live the best life. And in Jesus, we get to see agape love lived out. And we have a guide for how to, how to live our best life. And love for God is the foundation of a flourishing life. I think that a lot of people sort of think they have the key of if, you're gonna, if your life's gonna be good, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that. At the end of the day, Jesus says the greatest commandment, the, the, he's like, I'm aligned with the person who made you. The very nature of God that designed you, that designed this earth. He's like, you wanna live the best life? You want the foundation for a flourishing life? Love the Lord your God with everything you have. These commandments are not to lay something heavy on you. Here's some rules that you have to follow. And if you don't follow the instructions right, you're gonna make a mess. But they're to help you live a free life, the life that God has called you to live. See, if you grow in your love for God, everything around you gets better. If you grow in your love for God, you no longer treat people based on uh, how they treat you or what they deserve. You treat them based on a mutual ident identity that we're both children of God. All of a sudden, the world around you starts to get lighter, starts to be a better place to live in. If your love for God is rooted in the things of the world, what happens is if you just love the things of the world, the things that you acquired, the things that you achieved, you're gonna live in fear of losing what you love. Whatever we love, we're worried about somebody taking it from us. We're like, I have to hold on to this because I achieved it, I deserved it. I don't want anybody taking it from me. But God says, love me, no one can take you from me. 
No one can take me from you. God's like, would you just fall in love with me and I'll show you a better way to live and you won't be so full of fear. No one can take me from you. And what does God say in 1 John 4, 18? He says, perfect love casts out fear. So grow in love for me and you won't have all this fear operating in your life. I'm trying to give you a free, full life to live. You think about the 10 commandments and, and, and Jesus, he beautifully takes them here as his Pharisees trying to call him out. And he takes the first half of the 10 commandments. What are the first half all about? Loving God. So instead of breaking down those first five, have no other gods, make no idols, don't take my name in vain, keep the Sabbath, honor your father and mother. He just says, love the Lord your God. You're gonna get all those figured out. He summarized those first five commandments, says, love God. Chase him with all your heart, soul, and mind, with everything you are. Make him your greatest love. And these are how to live right with God. And the gift that we can give ourselves this Advent season is to grow in our love for him, is to grow in our desire for his presence, is to grow in a hunger to be near him every day, to know his word, to wanna live right by him. These are how to live right with God. And, and, and then he takes the, the last five and he summarizes all those. That's you shall not murder, don't commit adultery, shall not steal, don't lie, don't bear false witness, and you shall not covet. And Jesus summarized all those with love your neighbor as yourself. And all those commandments are how to live right with people. So he's not trying to lay something heavy on you. He's trying to say, you do this, you love God, you're gonna end up loving people. God wants you to live in freedom. He's seeking your highest good. That's what agape love is all about. And if you keep the first commandment, that second one's gonna come a whole lot easier. If you love him the most, you'll get free from so many distractions, so many things that hold you up, so many things that make you feel bound in life. And if you love him, you'll love your neighbor as well. But if you don't love people, it means that your love for God might be starting to slip. If you find that people are driving you crazy, which how many people know they can, come on. Anybody else work at a workplace that, the, the, yeah, I, the, my whole, everybody that I work with drives me nuts. Um, so I hear you, I, I, I hear you. Um, I just hide in my office all day. Just kidding. But uh, we, you know, but let, let's be honest, like people are gonna let us down. And so when we start to feel that everything around me is driving me crazy, we have to come back to, I love God. I need to grow in my love for him. And you can always love him because he seeks the highest good for you. You know that loving him is the best way to live your life. And when you give love to your neighbor, when you give love to your coworkers, when you give love to even your in-laws, which you're gonna have to do over this Christmas break, you're also gonna receive something in return. When you love your neighbor, it sets you free. When you love your neighbor, it sets you free. We think, you know, when somebody wrongs us, when somebody messes with us, when somebody hurts us, we think, if I don't get back at this person, no one else will, and they're gonna walk free. And then what happens is, you end up living your life keeping score of who owes you what. And when does that end? 
You're not living in the freedom Jesus paid for because you're always playing the game of fighting back and getting back at people and you're in a battle that no one wins and enemies make life heavy. You're always looking over your shoulder. What are they gonna do next? If you have a long list of people that you have to avoid, it's gonna entangle you in life. You're gonna feel heavy. You're gonna feel jealous. You're gonna feel angry when they're winning, living with a closed fist. And what Jesus told us to do in Luke 6, 35, he says, love your enemies. In fact, would you even do good to them? Ooh. Would you lend to them without expecting anything back? Then your reward will be great. So you won't have to go and look for your reward and figure out how to take care of yourself. You love your enemies, you do good to them, you lend without expecting anything back and your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And when you do this, you are aligning yourself with your Father in heaven. But when we don't do this, ah, we don't get to live in that love, that agape. We don't experience it as well. You know, there's a reason it's called holding a grudge. Because you're holding on to something, right? There's a reason it's called holding a grudge. It's like holding heavy suitcases, like the days before there was wheels on suitcases walking through the airport. It's heavy, right? You know, it's, you're holding it, you're not, you're not set free. It's like, it's like when you have a busy morning and you're trying to get out the door. And I don't know, parents, if, you, you know, if you're maybe better at the morning routine than I am, but I'm not very good at it yet. Uh, and I'm working on it. But what often happens in the mornings is I, I'm like trying to get everything together and on my way out the door, I got a bagel in one hand, I got a coffee in another hand, I got my laptop, I got all this stuff. I try and get into the car and I'm trying to drive, but my hands are full of stuff. Any parents know what I'm talking about? It's hectic. Oh, you parents are better than me, fine. All right, your kids probably take the bus. That's probably what it is. Um, anyways, uh, but it's like we got these hectic mornings and you're trying to drive, but you can't get your hands on the wheel because you got so much else that you're trying to balance. And this is what holding on to grudges is like. It's like you're trying to live your life, but you're holding this and your mind's there and you're like trying to get back at a person and you're like, I can't believe they did this and I can't believe they did that. And you're not seeking the highest good. And you're like, I'm wondering why my life is stuck and my spiritual life can get stuck sometimes. It's because you're holding on to so much when you're supposed to be driving. I'll tell you a true story. True story. By the way, there's nothing wrong with taking the bus. I took the bus. Sometimes when my parents, when we got on it on time and then my parents would have to drive us when we didn't. Bus folks, you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but one time I was driving to work and the guy in front of me was driving a little bit slow, swerving a little bit. I'm like, what is going on with this guy? He's driving so slow. I gotta figure out what's going on. So I pull up beside this person and he has a large mixing bowl <laughs> and he's holding below his face and he's driving with his knees and his face is full of shaving cream and he's full on shaving. I don't know what it's called, wet shaving or whatever. Like he's legit shaving with a Gillette or whatever. And the mixing bowl is full of water and he's rinsing out the, the razor in the water and he's full on shaving, driving. This person making a mess, trying to drive because they're trying to shave on the way to work. I don't know how bad your five o'clock shadow is that you have to shave that morning, but I think that 
Often we're going through life like this. When you hold a grudge, you have a closed fist. It's about revenge. It's about getting even and you can't let go and it trips you up from driving your life the place that God has for you to go. And the gift we're reminded of at Advent is love, agape love, seeking the highest good for the undeserving, to set people free so that they can live in freedom, but that we can live in freedom as well. And this Luke 6, 35 is such good news because I'm ungrateful and wicked, yet God is so kind to me. And Jesus said, when you love your neighbor, your reward will be great. You know, this is what Jesus did for us as we reflect on Advent. He loved us with agape love. And when we start to live with agape love, we live with an open hand. We seek the highest good for those around us. We live lighter. We forgive easier. This is how God sets us free. You know, the thing about love too is, love is a command. And there's not really any escaping it. I'll say it like this. Let's suppose that, obviously you wouldn't do this, but let's suppose that you, you don't wanna love your wife anymore. Things aren't going very well. And the command in the Bible is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. But you just don't wanna love her anymore. So what happens, you get a divorce? Your wife ends up buying the house next door. What happens? Your wife has become your neighbor. And the Bible's called you to what? Love your neighbor. But let's say she, I mean, she's mad about this whole thing. So she starts like shoveling the walk onto your walk. Right? She starts like making sure there's weeds in your backyard. I don't know, spraying some bottled up weeds or something. I don't even know if that exists. <laughs> or, or she like, you know, buys a crazy snowblower and shoots the snow into your car. Whatever she does, she's a terrible neighbor. And all of a sudden your wife becomes your enemy. What's the Bible say? Love your enemy. No matter which way you slice it, God has commanded you to love her. And then he's done the same with us. And we get so upset with people. I don't know about you, but I get so upset with people because they hurt my feelings. Another way of saying hurt your feelings is they broke your heart. And when we seek revenge, we're trying to heal that broken heart. And we're trying to become complete and whole again. But people will never be able to make you complete and whole again. No matter what they say, those words won't be able to replace what they've done. Only God makes you complete and whole again. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us in his agape love of coming to this earth and dying on the cross to pay for our sin. You can't look for people to make you whole and complete again. God makes you whole and complete again so that you can go ahead and love people. In him is the only way we'll ever be able to love those who have nothing lovable about them. And this is just how God related to us. The most famous scripture in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loves the world 
That doesn't mean he's an environmentalist, right? God so loved the world, he sent you a Tesla. He's saying God so loved you. God so loved you. God so loved the world, that means you, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the world had become an enemy of God and we followed our own way, we made ourselves his enemy, but he loved us so much that he gave the best gift possible. And as we give to each other this season, it's a beautiful picture of God's agape love, seeking the highest good for other people. You know, God's a generous God. He loves so much that he not only gave, but he forgave. And I love the book of Isaiah that we often read around Christmas time, where years before Jesus was born, 700 to 500 years before Jesus was born, this book was, was written. And before God could ever express his love through Jesus, before it was time to, for him to express his love through Jesus, he says this to the prophet, though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Can I tell you, God's love for you is unfailing. God's love for you is unfailing and sometimes we have a hard time grasping that because we'll never achieve a level of unfailing love ourselves because we're imperfect and inhuman and, and we're human. And, and so, you know, we, we love people. Man, I love my kids, I love my wife, but I'm, I'm always gonna mess up. But God's love is unfailing. Come on, how many people are thankful for our God who keeps his promises, who loves us, who cares for us, whose compassion continues? And agape means to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. That's his love for us. God's love for you is never weakened. His gift of agape love is the gift that will remain forever. And he is always sure of his relational position towards you. You've never done anything to make him love you more. You've never, you'll never do anything to make him love you less. He says, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. And when life is not going the way that we hoped it would, sometimes we feel like maybe God's changed his mind about us or he's changed the plan or somehow God has changed over time. But God says, my covenant of peace will not be removed. The Lord has compassion on you. Can I just tell you in this Christmas season, don't let the devil tell you that you messed up too much. Don't let him tell you that no one's looking out for you. Don't let him tell you that God doesn't work the way he used to. Don't let him tell you that you're overlooked. He will lie to you about people's motives and intentions in your life. He'll want you to look at others around you and say their life is so much better than yours. What's wrong with you? Don't let the father of lies get to you in this Advent season. God loves you with an agape love that is seeking your highest good at all times. Christmas is the reminder of the great arrival of Jesus and God's promise to his people. His love is unshakable. He has compassion on you. And when I believe that God has my best intentions in mind, it really changes how you read the Bible. And you can flip through this thing and know that God is good 
and any direction that he gives, that his words actually have healing. His words are based on his love for you, seeking the highest good for your life. And he gives you this story, this beautiful story, to show you how to live the best life. And he gives you his son to set you free and remind you that you're his child. God, thank you for everybody in the room. Today, God, we just are reminded of what a great God you are. Thank you for the word agape. That you love us, that we'll never deserve it, that we'll often mess up and, and disappoint. You continue to pursue us, to seek the highest good for our lives, and to be near a good, compassionate Father whose love is unshakable. I just pray for a new sense of your presence in every person, wherever we go, the car, home, work. God, we ask that your presence will be more tangible this week. That God, we would slow down. But we maybe reorder some priorities in our lives in order to experience more of you through this Christmas season. God, we ask that your will would be done in our lives. Just pray for a new sense of calling towards your will to be done. That we're not just existing, that our life has purpose, that there's a reason we were born for such a time as this. So God, thank you for continuing to work. Have your way in our lives. If you're in this room and you'd like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've never prayed a prayer, to do that before you prayed it, but you just feel like it's time to really rededicate yourself today. I can lead you in a prayer right now. It'd be my honor if you'd just repeat after me with boldness and confidence, pray this prayer to God, accepting him and committing, humbling yourself and committing your life to him. And everybody who calls Celebration Church Home is gonna pray this prayer with you in agreement with you, where your family, where your community surrounding you, believing God's best for your life. So if you wanna pray this prayer with me, just repeat it loudly, boldly. Here we go. Jesus, I believe in you. I need your forgiveness for my sin. I believe you died on the cross and God raised you from the dead. I'm declaring that you're the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, dwell within me. I am a new creation. In Jesus' name, come on, let's loudly say amen together. Thank you, God. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.